0: Good morning. I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. This morning, I have two guests. Uh, my first guest is the author of Steel Like an Artist, Austin Cleon. Austin Kleon uh, is the author of Steel Like an Artist. He wrote this book as a result of a, uh, a talk that he had given to college students in upstate New York, which is where I am right now. Uh, and the talk surrounded... Uh, all it, it, He talked about the 10 things he wished he had known or someone had told him after he graduated from college and he was starting out. Uh, and so he came up with uh, 10, 10 things that he wished that someone had given him, uh, in, in messages, positive messages that he could have used when he was starting out in his career. And uh, wrote a book and it went viral and now successful, sold, I guess, millions of copies. Coff- copies. It's uh, all about creativity, how to be creative. My second guest is Lisa Mundy. She's the author of uh, The Richer Sex, How the New Majority of Female Breadwinners is Transforming Sex, Love, and Family. And uh, she talks about uh, in the coming decades, women will overtake men as primary breadwinners and become the most financially powerful generation of women in history. So she's my second guest today. But first, I have the author of Steel Like an Artist. Mr. Cleon, Mr. Austin Cleon, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Yes. How are you this morning?
2: I'm great. I'm Good. calling from Philadelphia.
0: Philadelphia. <laughs> well, one of my sons is in yeah. Philadelphia. It yeah. looks
2: like a really beautiful city this morning.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I like a Philadelphia, but I'm a New Yorker, I have to say. So, anyway. Right. uh <laughs> Feel like an artist, okay? You've got ten things you talk about and how we can be creative and and uh, be creative people and go on and do what we want to do, follow our passions and be successful, I guess. Uh, you're an author. You are successful. You've written... You, you, actually, I saw you on um, one of the TED series, I guess, right? You were giving a lecture? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So why do we... Why write the? Why do we have? Well, what do we have to know? I mean, I can think of ten things I wish I had known when I graduated from college, and and uh, probably eight out of ten of the ones that you mentioned are things that I wished I had known. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, it's your book is considered a manifesto for the digital age. Uh, what does that mean? Well, we're living in this kind of new era
2: where, um, you know, if you're starting out now as a young creative person, you just have this huge tool that, uh, you know, tr- um, generations before you didn't have, which is the Internet. And um, it, it can change. Um, it can be a good and bad thing. Um, it, it can allow a young creative person to, um, to you know, it can, a young creative person can leverage it. Um, to expand their research, to dig deeper in their career, um, to display their own work, um, and to connect with a community online of of like-minded people, regardless of their geography. Um, you know what the internet. Uh, on the other hand, the internet can be a terrible distraction um, from our careers. Uh, we can waste a lot of time on there, and it can also be this kind of free-for-all land where. You know, um, uh, creative work can be borrowed and manipulated, and and um, and so it's just this kind of new Wild West era. And I think I feel like an artist as as a uh, as just a good guide for the kind of the young people and all people really who are kind of in this digital age, how to kind of harness their own creativity and and build a more creative life.
0: Yeah, when you talk about building a more creative life, Austin, you say that. Nothing is original, really. I mean that we've sort of everything's already been done. Um, so what you have to do is kind of collect all those ideas and put them together and discover your own path. Is that what we're supposed to be doing when we steal like an artist?
2: Well, I don't subscribe to the theory that that uh, that that everything to be done has been done. I think what what is important about the nothing is original idea is that nothing comes from nowhere. That that we all have influences. And that if we can accept that, that our work comes out of um, inspiration and gathering from the things that have come before us, what we can do is we can embrace influence instead of running towards it. And we can gather up our influences and we can take um, little bits and pieces, we can steal little be- bits and pieces um, from the influences that we love, mash them up in our own work, and then transform it into something new that we can then pull up, put back into the world.
0: So what you do in the book, still Like an Artist, you really tell us how to do that, right? It's kind of a real how-to. Is It's it's a guide in, in terms of how to do that. Do we want to start with, like, what's the first thing we need to do? I gra- Let's take an example. You know, you were talking to these, you know, I guess the uh, motivation for writing this book when you were giving this, uh, talking to these college students at Boom Community College in upstate New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know it well. Um, okay, so... What did you say to them? I mean, like steal like an artist. What does that mean? What is, what should from a practical point of view? You've got about ten. Yeah. Not about. You get ten things we should be doing. <laughs> well, the,
2: the 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 first thing I tell students is to, to really trust their gut instincts as far as like what is resonating with them. I mean, when we go to college, um, there's the temptation to. I mean, I, I find on the whole that college students are very open to new ideas, which is great, um, but. You know, every once in a while we get stuck on this path of, of reading what our teachers think we should be reading or, or doing work that we think are t- it pleases our teachers. And one of the things I try to tell students is, to, and, and all people is to really look for the influences that really resonate with you. Look for the influences that feel like good in your gut, you know, that you feel really close to. And find one thinker or one person in your field that you just really feel this strong affinity for and just saturate yourself with their work, just read everything they've done, watch everything. You know, if they're a filmmaker, watch every, uh, you know, watch every film. If they're a business person, read all their memos and whatnot, and then find out three thinkers that influence that thinker and then go back and saturate yourself with their work and continue that process until you have this kind of family tree of thinkers and a kind of creative lineage build up.
0: Well, what Austin, how is he, that, Let me stop you there because I'm at, how is that going to help you? We have a college student graduate, let's say a psychology major. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, can't decide what to do or how to do it and you know, has a BA in in psychology. So, what do they specifically do? Start I mean and how is it going well, to help them by doing what you just described like pick a psychologist who they like have an affinity for? using your example. Yeah. Re- okay. Read everything about well, him or her. And then... Yeah, like... psych. Yeah, go yeah,
2: ahead. So psych- psychology is interesting because so many people... Psychology specifically is very interesting because if you start... You know, if you start tracing... Um, tracing lineages back, like a lot of... For instance, like a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of modern psychology you can trace back to like Freud or, or Jung... Now Jung's an interesting guy because if you trace if you trace things back to Carl Jung, then what you can do is you can kind of see that, that if you saturate yourself with Jung's work, you can find out that he's actually this very multifaceted guy, and he's interested in all these different things. So what happens is when you when you completely know the history of your field as a young person, it shows you, oh, these people have always struggled with like say for instance the 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 um like Jung was really into the struggle between religion and science. So if you have a student who's like struggling with that balance, you know, you can see back if you if you know your lineage, you know that people have always struggled with this thing and it gives you more ideas for opportunities or different careers or or different directions you can go into.
0: So in other words, focus. Focus on one individual, one creative individual, one person who's really successful in the field that you are in, and it opens up all kinds of doors in terms of their struggle, how they handle the, all of that. Is that what you're saying? It, it gives you a background for moving ahead yeah, in your yeah. whatever your you know whatever your uh, career is or whatever you're interested in. And
1: one of the things
0: what? that you one of the things that you say, Austin, too, in your 10 um, things nobody told you about being creative. Um, is don't wait until you know who you are to get started, because I think that's a big one. I think when kids graduate from college, that's the one thing they always I have to find out who I am, and I'm not sure. I've been in college for four years or two years, so now what do I do? And i really got to get out there in the real world and find out who I am, and then I can get started. You say no.
2: Well, uh, what's interesting is we have this idea that we're somehow going to find out who we are before we actually do anything, um, uh, of, of, uh, of consequence. And actually it's the opposite. It's when we're out in the world making things and doing work, that's actually how you discover who you are. So you don't need to go travel, although it's, it's a lovely thing to do. You don't have to go backpack Europe to figure out who you are. I mean, you can get started right now um, in whatever creative endeavor you want to do. You know, you, you find out who you are by reacting to situations in your life, period. And, and for me personally, if you're a creative person, the way you figure out who you are is to just constantly make things. And, and your identity kind of springs out of that.
0: Constantly make things. Is that what you just said? yeah yeah like, okay like for instance what what would one do when you say you should constantly make things
2: well I, I if you're a uh, if you're a writer you would write every day if you were a painter you would paint every day um, if you were a uh, let's say you were a psychology major you would um, you know it, it, you would uh, you would um read psychology every day you would be out trying to figure out you uh, you know, it might be a matter of going to, um, you know, going back to school or something like that. Just constantly taking steps towards whatever it is that you want to do, instead of just kind of ruminating on your life and kind of navel gazing,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which many college students do do after four years of college and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But uh, all right, so you, what you're saying is you can do all these things right away. You know, take your interests, do them as you and and and. And get started by doing things right away. Don't wait till, you know. Wait. Right. Okay. Um, another one of these that comes up on your, your ten, uh, things that nobody told you about being created and feel like an artist, um, is be nice. The world is a small town. What does that mean? You have to be nice? Is that going to help you do well in your, your, your job or your profession or whatever you decide to do? I thought people are yeah, to I... tough <laughs> and nasty. Oh, that might get you.
1: Uh,
2: I suppose that could get you somewhere in the short term, but I think what I think what we're looking at now is in the digital age, uh, the golden rule is even more golden uh, than ever. Um, you know, an important lesson to learn, especially when you're uh, working online, is that if you talk uh, bad about someone on the internet, they will find out. Um, everyone has a Google alert on their name. Um, everyone's kind of vanity Googling. Um, and I think the best way uh, to vanquish your enemies on the Internet is to simply ignore them. And the best way to make friends on the Internet is to uh, talk nice
0: about them. It's very simple. All right. That is simple. And you're right. Uh, it's kind of scary, though, because it's true. The world has access to you and everything you do in certain ways, some good and bad um actually I was just talking to somebody about that yesterday the fact that you know things like tripadvisor I mean you can go to a restaurant you can go to a hotel and if you're treated badly or someone is not nice immediately you can put it up on the internet and you can you can ruin someone's business that way
2: Yeah the internet gives everyone a voice um yeah. whether that's good or bad um I think it's both so yeah, so there's, uh, so there's consequences to every kind of form of the communication you take on the net. You know, people kind of talk about the net being this very um, kind of fleeting, ephemeral thing, and really, um, things tend to be kind of permanent on the web. Um, you know, things stick around, so uh, you have to kind of be careful what you put out there.
0: Austin, one of the... One of the things you should say, too, I'm I'm not going to go through every single one of the ten things um, that you have to know about being creative, because we want people to go out and buy the book, but let's address one of the, the, be boring. And you say, be boring, it's the only way to get work done. Oh, I mean, boring, no one wants to, to, especially today, it seems like boring is like a really taboo word. Who wants to be boring? We want it exciting and glitzy and glamorous and fun and happy. And boring isn't one of the words usually here, like this is what you should be, boring.
2: Yeah,
0: well, it, it's not, it's
2: not um, saying you should be boring as an individual. What it's saying is it's, it's basically a, a rephrasing of something that Gustave Flaubert wrote, uh, the French writer, he said, be or- regular and orderly in your life so that you may be violent and original in your work. And what that really means is that you have to conserve your energy from your everyday life. You can't... Um, creative work takes a tremendous amount of energy um, to 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 make, and you don't have that energy if you're wasting it on things that don't really matter. Um, and so the best... Thing that I've found for creative people to do is to take care of themselves stay out of debt um, keep their day jobs while they're working hard um, to try to get something started and to just manage their time and their relationships in a way that actually um, benefits the work and, and doesn't take away from it
0: who would you say today I mean I have several in my uh, that I can think of and I'm sure many uh, listeners as well can do this but who are the name like five different people who you would say today kind of uh represent these 10 different uh proscriptions for be, uh being creative and having you know accomplished what they've accomplished by kind of like utilizing these 10 different uh, uh creative processes Who would you say i mean i can think of people steve jobs bill gates right i mean those are two people
2: oh yes yeah, steve jobs is especially i mean steve very openly um, said in a very famous uh, interview in 1994, he said uh, Picasso had a phrase: uh, "Good artist copy, great artist steal." And and we've always been shameless about stealing great ideas. Um, so yeah, Steve Jobs was a was was definitely one. Um, you know, you could name. There's so many creators. Uh, um, uh, Woody Allen, for instance, has gone on record about what a shameless thief he is, and but how he's obviously you know transform those influences into new work someone like kobe bryant the basketball player he studied hours and hours of uh moves from um from on basketball tapes and and now when he plays the game he says it's uh it's all in service to those people that he stole from it's it's bigger than him it's in the name of the game um trying to think of some other people i talk about in the book. Um,
0: well, Austin, Someone so far like, you've only mentioned so far, Austin, you've only mentioned men. Or those are the ones that came up first. So I'm curious about right. that. What? A, yeah. What about some some women?
2: Uh, Martha Stewart is a is a brilliant example. Um, she, I actually watched her give a talk one time, and she said, you know, she's constantly on the lookout for for new ideas. But the thing that she does, which I also talk about in the book, is she looks for the she looks for the spaces she looks for the void. Um, the void and where the people came, that came before her, what work they didn't do. So she gathers her influences, but then she figures out where the empty spot is, where the opportunity is, and then she goes towards that. So she's a great example.
0: Are there any examples? I mean, Martha Stewart is, is uh, actually, uh, if we're talking about young people now, she's a different generation. What about some? young people in their, who have, uh, you know, let's say in their 30s, young women, for instance, who have done that. I, you know, I think of somebody like the, and I can't remember her name now, Spanx, you know, who created Spanx, like the the pantyhose thing, who's, the, I think, one of the uh, few ma- uh, women who are self-made billionaires, billionaires, not millionaire, but billionaire. I, I forgot her name, but she would be one of them, wouldn't she?
2: I You know, I don't, I don't, put a financial return on leading a good life you know i don't i don't know i think basically you could pick any creative person any creative woman or any woman running her own career right now that's young and you could pretty much like they they know these principles like for instance um I I would I would a big uh an influ a woman who's been a huge influence on me is a woman named Jen Beckman who um runs the runs um, my print um company uh twenty by two hundred. And she has really made a place for herself in the art world and she'll tell you like a lot of these principles, you know, she she didn't know what she was doing when she started out. She just knew that she wanted to make something new and she wanted to build 20 by 200 from the ground up, and she just went and she did it, you know. I think, I think, you know, this this idea that we all have influence, that we all borrow things and then transform it into our own thing, it's just hard to find. I've never been able to find a person that's doing creative work out there that the principle doesn't apply.
0: Well, but, you know, talking about creativity, and, and maybe, so obviously, this is my bias, but you know, I was always kind of under the the impression that well, creative people you, you have they're sort of born with their creative talents. Uh, they have an intuitive sense about how to go and you know and and be successful and as you say, not necessarily monetarily successful but successful in terms of achieving what they feel is important to them, but that it, you know for the ordinary person, which most of us are, uh, it doesn't come easily. You can't just you know come up with this creative stuff, but you're saying, no, we all have this ability. Is that what you're saying, that if we kind of follow, even if it's not intuitive, but if we got your book and we kind of took a look at this, that we'd all be able to accomplish, um, we'd be creative people and be able to accomplish what we wanted to by kind of utilizing these 10 tools?
2: Yeah, I mean, creativity has been completely mythologized. Uh, the whole idea that there are people who are born with innate talents that they don't, you know, they just spring up from nowhere is just, is, is very, is very misleading and I think it's very damaging to the rest of us who don't feel like we're, you know, super, we don't feel like we've been knighted by the gods with this creative talent. I mean, I never thought of myself as someone who had a kind of um, you know, ordained talent. My talents came from. Um, I was a. I I wrote and I draw. I drew and I read my whole early life, and um, I put the time in. and And there's a way to um, creativity is uh, like creative is not a noun. Like there aren't such thing as creatives. There are just people who have figured out how to harness creativity and use it in their work. Like creativity is a set of tools that you can learn to use uh, for your own work. It's it's just it, you can learn creativity. It's not innate. Every everyone has um, the ability to be creative in their life.
0: Do you and need the right kind? About. Austin, do you need the right kind of environment? And, you know, you're talking about yourself. You're a fairly young man. Now, what kind of an environment did you grow up in? I mean, did did they? Did, your was your creativity nurtured you said you read you wrote you did what you know and you did that constantly since when since you were five years old six years old How, what kind of an in, in was there the environment that you grew up in something that promoted that kind of activity
2: um yeah I mean environment is is terrifically um, is is terrifically important um, but, uh, you know, both place and the people. I mean, I grew up in a very small town in southern Ohio um that was not um was not very arts minded. I didn't grow up around any writers. I didn't grow up around any artists. What I had was I had a mother who um, was an educator, and she knew um, she knew how important reading was, and she read to me every night and we went to the library constantly and she bought me books. And um and yeah, she was she was a big nurturer for me. Um both my parents. Um they really pushed me and uh and and they were they would be two of my big influences. But um at some point um it they be- it became very important for me to kind of create my own world. Uh you know I wasn't obviously happy living in my small town so I had to kind of create my own world in my room and have my heroes and, and, think about, you know, what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. Um, so yeah, I would say environment is terribly important, but there are ways to establish, even if we're stuck in an environment, we don't think is necessarily conductive to our creativity. There are lots of things that we can do to make it more creative. Um, we can, uh, we can pick, you know, you don't get to pick your parents, but you can pick, you know, your friends and you can pick, um, you can pick what books you read, what movies you watch, what, um, you know, you can you can pick your influences in a way and, and kind of transcend your environment.
0: Yeah, well, when you talk about, I think one of the things you say, geography is no longer our master. I don't know if you mean it in this way, but you can be in the small town in Ohio and the world still is open to you on your computer in a very different way than you wouldn't have had that opportunity, let's say, 20 years ago. So you can avail yourself to a lot of different things without actually having to be there uh, but also I have a question yeah. what about intelligence because you know intelligence often is connected to creativity and uh, you know let's say the average IQ is 100 or maybe it's gone up a little I guess in the past few years 105 but it's you know it's people. most people have an average uh, intelligence can they still be creative in the same way that you're describing and accomplish what you're talking you know just what you've been what we've been talking about
2: I think Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, uh everyone thought Einstein was a moron when he was a kid. I mean, you <laughs> know, I mean,
0: I mean,
2: but he you know, wasn't a moron.
0: Well, I, they thought so because they were the morons, and he was the genius. No, he had a different kind of intelligence.
2: You know, I mean, he didn't fit the mold when he was younger. Uh, you know, I think that the big, the big thing that, and I don't write too much about intelligence in the book, but I think a lot of it is simply about discovering what resonates with you. You know, if you love cars, if you love to take apart cars, that is a very, that is the kind of intelligence that I wish I had so much, a mechanical ability. Um, And then you just figure out how to build a a life and a career around those abilities. And I know, I mean, I know guys that I graduated from high school with who who are mechanics who make way more money than me. You know, so I don't think... um, I don't think our hangups about what is creative work or what is intelligent work has anything to do with. Um, I, I just think creativity is within the reach of anyone. And actually, if you if you study uh, groups of creative people now, again, I don't write about this in the book, but if you you know if you look at a lot of creative people, a lot of them had learning disabilities when they were younger. Um, and a lot of them, uh, you know, had struggles in school. Um, and it took being out in the world and, you know, kind of uh, trying to do their work and, and just finding the right creative environment for them to really harness their abilities.
0: That's a great answer, you know, and I'm glad you clarified that because I do think that that's a question that comes up with a lot of people. You know, I'm just an ordinary guy or gal. What am I supposed to do? But you don't have to be a neurosurgeon. You don't have to be a best-selling author. You don't have to be Picasso or Chagall. You can be a great mechanic. You can be, uh, you know, somebody, whatever you, whatever you do, whatever your skill set is, that's the word that comes to mind, you can, you can be very creative with your own skill set. I think, Is that what you're saying?
2: Creativity is simply taking the things that are in front of you and recombining them into something that we never had before. And that's that's very basic, and you can use that in any field. It works for any field. The things that everyone else has in front of them, you see a unique new combination or a unique new thing, and you put it into the world. And that can be as simple as... um, you know, I mean, it can be as simple as arranging your living room in a way that lets you live in
0: it better. You know, I do that very well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my area I mean, of expertise. <laughs> 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 you, okay. yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. I think creativity is just a very. It's we we've uh, we've made it into this very complicated mythical thing, and it's. It's just not. It's something that we can all do. It's a tool that we can use in our lives to get to get where we want to go.
0: You're very inspiring, and um, it, it is an inspiring book. And your book is for everybody, and it is kind of this guide. I mean, not kind of. It is a guide for creativity and um, kind of very forward-thinking because it does include all of us. You know, we are all creative beings, and that's. I like your message. But anyway, we have to say goodbye. Steal like an artist. Ten Things Nobody Told You About Being Creative, Austin Cleon And, Austin, we can go to what website for more information about you, about your book, and about what you're doing, your creative efforts. Yeah, yeah. the best thing to do is just go to steallikeanartist.com. steallikeanartist.com. Thanks so much, Austin. Great having you on the show this morning.
2: Oh, thanks very much for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to take a short break, but coming up next is uh, Liza Monday. Uh, she's the author of The Richer Sex, How the New Majority of Female Breadwinners is Transforming Love, Sex, and Family. Uh, I'm Catherine Zocks, your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to The Katherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs>
1: In real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you struggling to find hope in the
3: middle of adversity? How confident are you in dealing with your life challenges? Do you realize you have the ability to overcome your obstacles? You'll want to tune in to Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. Louise will speak to inspiring guests who have helped others or managed to overcome the roadblocks that stood in the way of their life success. Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities broadcasts live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station.
0: Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788.
0: We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining me this morning is the author of The Richer Sex, How... The New Majority of Female Breadwinners is Transforming Sex, Love, and Family. And the author is Leith Liza Monday. Liza is the best-selling author of Michelle, a biography, and this is a biography about the First Lady. She's also a staff writer at the Washington Post and has been there for more than 10 years. Uh, she's covered politics, popular culture, and women's issues. And, of course, I'm always interested in women's issues. I tend to focus on women's issues on this show. Uh, recently, Time Magazine, March 16th, I think it was, featured her uh, book on the cover, and uh, it says women are over on Time Magazine. It so says women are overtaking men as America's breadwinners. Why? That's good for everyone. So that's going to be my first question to Liza. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Great to have you here. Okay, the richer sex. Um, Let's start with that question. Women are overtaking men as America's breadwinners. Um, and I, I've always felt, you know, I, I didn't have the statistics, but uh obviously I think this has been happening over the past 10, 20 years. Um, but there's been this sense that maybe that's not such a good thing, but you're saying it is a good thing. It's good for everyone. Why?
3: Well, I, just and just to... To look at the statistics for a second to confirm exactly what you've been sensing and what i think many people have been sensing we know now that almost forty percent of working wives out their their husbands and that is a statistic just as you say that has been going up steadily for the past 20 years ever since the government started tracking it, Um, and and if it were if the acceleration it continues at the same pace, then by 2030 a majority of working wives would out earn their husbands, and I think that this is good for everyone because for women, being economically empowered in a relationship is is a good thing, and it's it's a relatively new thing for women. I mean 150 years ago in our country and many parts of Europe married women couldn't even own property or own the right to their own wages in marriage and that is not that long ago and and it took us really decades to um to transform that relationship and you know going around the country talking to women about feeling more e- empowered in their marriage i mean we know for example that when women began working and earning in the 1970s Men began doing more housework. I mean, this this may seem like a big thing to you or a small thing, but we know that earnings gave women more bargaining power in their relationships to get more help around the house. Um, We know that earning power has given women more consumer power in the marketplace. It gives them the ability to leave a marriage that that that's unhappy, which is something called the independence effect, Um, and and it gives them obviously more choices in life. Now, I argue in my book obviously that there there are men who can have issues with this, there are women who can have issues with this. But in 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 many of the couples I interviewed where it was working out wonderfully, the wife's breadwinning had given the husband the opportunity to be a stay at home dad or the secondary earner to spend more time with his children, which is something that we know men want. Men want more time with their children than they could have twenty years ago and they're Spending that time, and it give, gives men more opportunity maybe to pursue a creative profession, to not be yoked to a job that, you know, that they don't want simply
0: in order to provide for a family, which is a position that men used to be in. So in other words, it also, we're talking about women, it gives women more choices, obviously, uh, more choices within the marriage and also choices to leave the marriage. Uh, but it also gives men more choices, and I think that's a really important point. And I think something that many people don't think about that that men there are a lot of men who do much better taking care of the house and the kids than working in the you know getting out in the 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 work world, and they have the choice to stay home. One of the things, though, don't you think that? Um, and as you were talking, I'm thinking about women that men and I did you find this? I guess is the question in your research that men have more respect for women and women who are making those choices perhaps to be the breadwinner that their spouses respect them for it rather than resent them for it well definitely in successful relationships um,
3: certainly I, I I did interview women whose whose uh, partners or husbands were threatened by their earnings and um, you know would would sort of um, undermine them or or you know, make their resentment clear, but definitely in the successful relationships, um, the men were very admiring of their wives and and very supportive of their wives. I interview a family in Michigan of six adult siblings who grew up in um, a household in Detroit where their dad was the he was the sole breadwinner. He he worked for Ford. I mean, just a classic breadwinning family. And what's so interesting is these six adult siblings in adulthood, five of the six are in female earner households. And three of those are heterosexual marriages where the wife is the primary breadwinner. And the men are just, I mean, they are so awesome. They really admire their wives. They, they know what the workplace is like. They know how hard it can be. They, they respect their wives' work ethic and success, and they're very supportive. Um, and I think the, the wives have done something really important that women don't always do. They have empowered their husbands with, um, with their earnings. The husbands generally run the households and are the household CFO also. So the husbands make the, it, at least the initial investment and in financial, um... decisions. And, you know, talk about it with their wives. But, but they, the, the partners are equally empowered. And, and one thing that women sometimes do when they are the breadwinners is exert too much power over their own earnings. I think because we are sort of raised to think of our earnings as, as our money, as our pin money, um... our spending money. Women, researchers have, have shown that women who are breadwinners Are more likely to try to sort of keep control of household and financial decisions. So I saw that in successful couples, the women ceded that authority. They, they empowered their husbands and the husbands at the same time were really very proud of their wives and regarded their marriage as a team. So when she got a raise, uh, the feeling in the family was we
0: got a raise. What about when they first got married? I mean, you were interviewing uh you know these two groups some couples who were successful and 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 ha, or, or the, this kind of a uh relationship worked for them and others where it didn't work for them when they did you find that when let's say when they got married when the couples got married that this was something that they had planned on that the wife would be the breadwinner or not or it's something that just evolved Yes, yeah, so in couples, say, where, where they're maybe in their
3: 40s or 50s, this was not something that was planned generally. It was something that, just as you say, that evolved. And sometimes women can have an issue with it. You know, we've been raised to think that equality, exact equality is our goal in life, so that in an ideal world, we maybe would be working as many hours as our husband, we would make the same amount of money, and we would do the same number, you know, the same hours of housework, at home, And so sometimes when a woman starts to pull ahead in the relationship to her surprise, um, she uh, one woman said to me, you know, I really had expected an equal partner. I expected a husband who was working as hard as I am and had as much drive and ambition. And that was creating tensions in her marriage. Um, certainly... Uh, many people that i interviewed had adapted successfully and at a certain point particularly with children they had simply sort of calibrated in in different directions you know the wife had calibrated toward the workplace the husband had sort of dialed it back and they had found that that worked very well for them but i would also say that the, that the younger generation of men and women are now entering into relationships where this is you know the the idea that she'll be the primary earner or breadwinner is a real possibility because we know now that women are are almost 60% of college and university students. And these young women are graduating and they're seeing that earnings pay off to their college degree. They're in most American cities now, single women under 30 make more than their male peers. And women are entering into relationships with, with guys who are willing to invest in them. And you know, who'll say, I'll move with you across the country. If you need to go to California, I'll move for you. And, and young women are looking at a life in which they may very well be the primary
0: earner, and they may very well be partnered with a guy who sees this and is willing to facilitate it so expectations have changed they're different yeah I mean, yeah, and that makes a huge difference when you're talk as you're talking, it made me think about do you think that also you know the the, the kind of the mantra was behind every successful man is you know is a what's the you know it, is the woman The supportive right? woman, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or what was well, he, he saying, that she was smarter or something? I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember either. But anyway, if they were really successful, then he had to have a woman behind him who was, you know, helping him to be successful. At it. But that's not exactly how it was said. But do you think the reverse is going to be true? That, you know, when you talk about expectations, you know, behind every successful woman is a a successful man at home helping her. I mean, that, you know, it it, it kind of um, changes the dynamic. Do you, you think that, is that something that... that That when you were doing your research, when you talked to couples that they thought about or verbalized or
3: definitely. And, and you know, the, the the women, for example, in this family in Michigan who've all risen to very, the women have all risen to very high levels in their companies. One of them is in healthcare. Two of them are in the auto industry. And they said over and over, you know, I couldn't do this job and have children and have a happy family, you know, if it weren't for my husband. They were very aware of that. And I think, you know, when you look at, at women CEOs who do have families, many of them do have uh, a stay-at-home spouse. Because I think for men and women alike to you know to reach the highest levels and for women to break through the glass ceiling, uh, you know they they do need a spouse if they're going to have children they need a spouse who is willing to dial it back and so I think you know we've also been very focused on. Um, on on equality in the workplace and we need to be focused on that i mean let's keep in mind that there is still a gender wage gap and so wives are out earning husbands, and yet they're not necessarily making as much in their workplace as a man would and and so We've been focused on, you know, more quality in the workplace, and and for families, you know, more paternity leave, more maternity leave, more flexibility, and we and we need to keep focusing on all that. But I would also argue that the workplace can only do so much, and there's some jobs that do require, you know, a, 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 a hard work week, and if you're going to strive for those jobs. Uh, you're gonna need a spouse who's willing to dial it back and be supportive of you.
0: Yeah. And I think if you are one of those women who are in those workplaces, I'm thinking of like some of these big, uh, law firms, for instance, corporate attorneys, you know, where yeah. you have to work 80, do, 80, yeah. 80, 80 hours a week not 40 hours a week you have to if you have a husband or a spouse who is at home taking care of the house being with the children you have less guilt and and I think you're freer to do what you want to do because then you don't have a stranger or a nanny with the kids all the time it's you know your your husband is there taking care of the kids which I think it makes a kind of a win-win situation for both um but Lisa well, let's talk about cuz I'm talking all right Here's another topic. Obviously, what about sex? Because people say, well, well men are going to feel emasculated. I mean, they have to. They like sex more. They like to be in control. This kind of makes them, you know, feminizes them. Or uh, I mean, I just made up that word, but y- you know, <laughs> and so that it, it could be an issue in the bedroom. It can be an issue in the
3: bedroom, and and I think you know I tried to talk to a lot of research at, about this, and and there's not a lot of good research on this specific situation. But what therapists I talked to said is if the woman is out achieving her partner and if it makes them feel uncomfortable and she doesn't feel like she can come home at the end of the day you know and 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 Brag—I mean, brag—is the wrong word. But if she doesn't feel like she can talk about her successes and and share them and and feel supported, then she's going to stop talking about them. And when the couples stop talking, then we know that intimacy in a marriage suffers. And when intimacy suffers, then then sex is going to suffer definitely. Um, but you know, as I said, in the happy couples that I talked to, that was not an issue. And studies also show that when men help with housework. They have better sex lives. And so, uh, you know, the idea that, that the woman is going to feel her husband is emasculated because he's, I don't know, you know, doing the laundry or whatever, that or cooking, I mean, the opposite is true. I, I Actually, I think men are using cooking as a form of sexual display now. We know that men are cooking much more than they used to, and in many cases, cooking quite elaborately. So I think, you know, men's housework participation is only a good thing for them. Sexually, and I think also you know this generation of young women who are very economically empowered um, being economic, being empowered that way enables them to not have to commit to a marriage right away and to take their time and and to be choosy with you know to find a guy that they'll have a good sexual relationship with and and we know that you know later marriage is is a marriage that is more likely to endure and and more likely i would Think to be happy sexually, and interestingly enough, some young women that I talked to felt very empowered physically. I wouldn't argue ever that you know that money is going to completely erase women's body image anxieties. But young women I talked to, if one of them said, you know, I have a rule: if he thinks that I'm hot when he meets me, he doesn't get to change the rules later. So they were explicitly saying he doesn't get to tell me to wear more makeup or to lose more weight because. Um, i 'm just not going to do it. They were very confident with who they were and how they looked, and they were very empowered in their sexual relationships
0: so yeah, again they I were think you know get back to expectations go ahead yeah, and I think that 's a good point because they were younger women are more empowered sexually today and i 'll say within i keep using pat, the past twenty years than they were before anyway they 've had more experiences they 've been with other men, so that all comes into play too they 're already uh, empowered in the bedroom let 's say and um uh, don't look to their spouses or their partners as kind of the, the, the sexual person who's going to, you know, be the one in control. So it, it's different, I think. What about the rest of the family, though? How do the families feel? You know, what, you know the, the, the mothers and the fathers of the daughters, um like what was your in terms of your research what did you find like did they that's you know, such a great
3: question yeah. because um i i i did interview you know stigma is is a real phenomenon and couples do sometimes feel stigmatized uh and and i interviewed for example one um very happy couple in on the east coast where the wife is is um uh, a very accomplished professional she's a university professor she writes a lot she's very fulfilled in her career her husband made the decision to be the stay-at-home person he's a consultant he's a secondary earner and it and he's very proud of his wife and it works wonderfully for them and for their children and yet her parents um, his in laws make it clear that they feel that he has not fulfilled his duty as a husband. He said he feels that they make him feel like a freeloader or a leech because he 's not earning and providing and so it, you know he 's had to do a fair amount of psychological work to to deal with that and basically to discount their their views about him and and so, extended family members, I think, have more influence than they than they realize. And it's very important for for in-laws to be supportive of couples who are forging new relationships and making decisions that work for them. Um, so, you know, supportive extended families are only a good thing. I mean, that's always the case. But but you know, women have been raised to think that we've succeeded in life if we've married you know a guy with a prestigious job, and in-law need to stop thinking that way because there are other means of being valuable and showing support and and ensuring that your wife can succeed. Now in terms of children, I I talked to some Adult children of breadwinning moms who said, "You know, I was very proud of my mom growing up. You know, I thought it was just great that she was so impressive, and I was very, I felt very special that my dad was the one picking me up at school." And and so I don't, I don't think we have to worry about, you know, if couples have made this decision and it's working for them, we certainly don't need to worry about the children. I think children benefit now from more time with their fathers than we've ever, than, they, than they've ever had before, and as long as long um, as, as, again, as people... As a couple talk about it, and they and they transmit to their children that this is a good thing, that this is something that we've chosen, and that mom is happy and fulfilled, and that dad is, um, you know, very happy to have a more nurturing role. Then, you know, children are very flexible and adaptable. They can see that that's a good situation.
0: Yeah, they, I, and they can feel it's a good situation. All they need to do is feel it. They feel good if they have two parents who are getting along. Whatever the dynamics are, I don't, as you right. say, I don't think it makes a difference to them. But we are in a state of transitioning uh, i think in terms of in-laws and parents and changing their expectations which you know after a while that too will evolve and and they'll the in-laws and the parents will be different, and they'll have because they'll come from a, a different generation. Um, but it is kind of in transition, I would say. What about the workplace? What about you know, it, let's say a woman who is uh, maybe she's a, an attorney or she works for a big corporation, and she has the uh, stay-at-home dad or the the dad, you know, and she's the main breadwinner. How does that? Is there anything that happens within her job or her? You know, the corporate culture that is different for her than it is for someone who's not in that kind of a position? Well, certainly it's very
3: hard on women if they're not getting help at home or enough help at home from their husband, and, you know, they feel like they're just having to work all these hours and then do a lot of work at home as well. And also, um, you know, if women aren't being paid the wage that they should be, then this is, then the whole family is going to suffer. And for example, one of the, um, women I interviewed who works in the auto industry, her field is marketing. And her husband feels that because she's in marketing, she's not being paid as much as, as, um, people in traditionally male sectors of the auto industry. And, and I think that's probably true. And so it, it sort of drives him crazy, uh, to think that she might not be making what, what she should be. And, and so that is, uh, something that we we must not relax our vigilance on that because as i said there is still a, a gender wage gap and 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 yet what i think is going to happen is um That, that management is gonna look at, at women employees differently knowing that they have supportive spouses. I mean, traditionally, historically, husbands have not been willing to relocate for their wives' careers the way that women have been willing to do for husbands. You know, and bosses and managers know this and so I think they would look at, maybe at female employees differently and say, oh no, she won't take that promotion because she'd have to move and we know her family's not gonna move for her. But as, 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 partners send signals that they will move, and as management uh, understands that this is an employee whose family is supportive of her and willing to make compromises, I think that that is going to, you know, continue to change the way that women are viewed in the workplace and that the workplace will be willing to invest in them more. I, I would like to hope that, that that's the case.
0: And do you think it will have a uh, 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 impact on even getting a raise? I mean, if... if um... Uh, bosses, uh, not necessarily in big corporations, but just in any company or small business, realize that—and this shouldn't be the reason—but that the uh, that the wife is the primary breadwinner; that she's the primary bread It's really important for her, as you say, to be able to m- to move to another location if she has to another. But also that you know raises are important and bonuses are important because she is the primary breadwinner. Right. And, you know, I mean, ironically, women are sometimes
3: reluctant to talk about being the breadwinner because they fear that it will stigmatize their husband or, you know, make him seem emasculated. And yet women need to talk about it because they need to let their management know that um, that they are the breadwinners and that a household is depending on them. I mean, we know that back in the 1920s and 30s, men were explicitly paid more because they were viewed as husbands and fathers. And so women made less than men in the same job job. Everybody knew this because the man was regarded as the breadwinner. And we still see the vestiges of that in the workplace. And so I think, you know, women need to to make it clear that their households depend on them. But you know, one other thing I would I would say is that many of the men I talked to who had made the decision to be the secondary earner or stay at home dad, it was because their workplaces were so unforgiving of them. One of the men I interviewed in this Michigan family had gone into finance and he was being expected to work sixty or seventy hours a week with young children. And he just didn't want to do that. Whereas his wife actually was benefiting from a much more flexible um, workplace and bosses who were willing to facilitate her parenting. And I think sometimes we forget that that the workplace is, that actually fathers today experience more work-life conflict than working mothers. And so part of the reason behind this trend is that the workplace is so tough
0: on working fathers. What would you say? We have a couple minutes left, so I want to. Uh, what, what, what do we want to leave our listeners with besides buying your book, The Richer Sex? Uh, Lies a Monday. You can buy it at bookstores everywhere, online. Uh, but. Uh... You know if we had some kind of a mantra something to yeah yeah well i have
3: some I have some prescriptions in my book about you know how to make this work and and one of the things that women should keep in mind is it, 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 it is very very important to cede control i mean don 't don 't try to maintain control over the house in the domestic territory that 's called gatekeeping i mean empower your husband or your partner and trust him to run the house, and also set up a joint checking account so that he doesn 't have to ask you for money you 'd think this is a no brainer but um and 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 that there are other ways for if you want you know to feel like you're if a man wants to feel conventionally masculine there are other ways to do that and to um, you know to to protect your wife and support her uh that that happy couples find find other other there are other routes
0: to masculinity besides merely earning that's that's great i really like all of each one of those things that you mentioned it's a really important book <laughs> And uh, I'm going to, uh, The Richer Sex, How the New Majority of Female Breadwinners is Transforming Sex, Love, and Family. Great book. And and really, I enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks so much, Liza. Thank you. I enjoyed it also. Great. Well, we do have to say goodbye. Um, i Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to me the Catherine, and on the Catherine Zox Show on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. And just to remind you, you can listen to us. It's live every Wednesday from 10 to 11 Eastern Time. But at the end of the day, we archive the show, and you can go to the Catherine Zox Show on Voice America. And you can listen to it any. Time you can uh, you know whichever show you want you can download the show and it is available and uh, also listen to me on Thursdays and on WCDB FM in Albany New York um, I'm the host of the Social Workers which is which airs uh, live uh, from nine to ten and you can go to WCDB FM website and listen to us live but we also archive that show so we have uh, I have both shows Wednesdays and Thursdays. Um, the two guests today were Liza Monday, author of The Richer Sex, um, uh, How the New Majority of Female Breadwinners is Transforming Sex, Love, and Family, um, and that book is available at bookstores everywhere, and... Uh... We're going to say goodbye. Austin Cleon was my other guest. If you are interested and you want to buy his book, Steal Like an Artist, that also is online, and you can buy that at bookstores everywhere. Have a great week. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next Wednesday.
1: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zoc Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinesox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.